questions podcast from those nerdy girls at Dear Pandemic. Here on the podcast, we chat with experts across many disciplines of science to explore how our interconnected world is being reshaped by the COVID-19 pandemic. Find us on our website at dearpandemic.org. I'm your host, Dr. Malia Jones, hybrid social infectious disease epidemiologist at UW-Madison's Applied Population Laboratory and editor-in-chief at Dear Pandemic. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Malia Jones. I'm the Editor-in-Chief at Dear Pandemic, and I'm here today with Dr. Amanda Simonek, who's an Associate Professor of Epidemiology at UW-Milwaukee. And today we're going to be tackling questions from our followers, and we have a special theme for today since we're both in Wisconsin. And Wisconsin has been in the news a fair amount lately. We are going to focus on Wisconsin issues and Wisconsin questions. So thanks for joining me today. Amanda, yes, how thanks. are you? Good to see you, Malia. Well, it's been a week. I'm sure week. you feel the same way. Yeah, things are pretty intense here in Wisconsin on several different fronts. Yes. So have you voted yet? I received my absentee ballot this week and will be filling it out and returning it. So uh, if you are already registered to vote, you can request your absentee ballot, I think through October 29th, but do so as soon as possible. If you are not registered to vote, you can still register, but you have to do so by the 14th of October next week. So make sure to do that. And we are going to drop some links and information about where and how you can register and request an absentee ballot um, or where you can find out where your in-person polling places. Yeah, I think the, re- the voter registration deadline on Tuesday is to register via the internet, right? And then you can still register later, but you'll have to go in person to do it later. Yes. So did you see the amazing Charlie Barron's video about um, voting in Wisconsin just for Wisconsinites? I love that guy, man. He's so clever and yeah, no, I did watch it and I highly recommend because not only can you learn how to register and how to vote, but also how to make a a number of Wisconsin cocktails at the same time. Exactly, it's really wonderful. We'll put that link in there too. So um, yeah, while we're on the subject, Uh, Our hero of the week, we want to give a big shout out to Beatrice Lumpkin, age 102 of Chicago, who has not missed an election in 80 years, and she recently voted by mail. She said she felt a sense of duty to not miss out on voting in the 2020 election, even though she had to go to mail her ballot in a full full PPE, like a papper, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, She told a reporter that she feels so strongly about voting because when she was born, women couldn't vote. Yeah, and she hasn't missed an election in 80 years, which is amazing. It's amazing. So So go Beatrice, thank you for setting such a good example. So I wanna start off as always with a big thank you to our followers who put lots of good questions in the question box. We read these questions every week and we use them to decide what we're gonna be posting about in the upcoming week. So if you have a question, 
you can submit it to our question box and we will read it. It's on our website, which is at dearpandemic.org. And while you're there, you can also search for um, keywords in your question because we have answered tons and tons of questions already. And a lot of them are up on our website for you to read. So check it out. Yes. And so this next week, our theme for questions, we're particularly looking for what you might call quote unquote dumb questions or those types of questions where you're like, I know this sounds dumb, but I still don't get it or I wanna know. And really there are no dumb questions. We welcome all questions. Um, so anything that seems like basic or you should already understand it, send it our way. We are happy to take those questions this week yep. in the question box and we will tailor our posts and potentially the Q and A that comes up next week or the week after based on those topics. Yep. So if you've got a dumb question or one that you're just like, I should get this by now, but I just don't get it, let us know. Yes. So we're going to get started. As I said, today's theme is Wisconsin, Wisconsin questions, Wisconsin issues. So bring on the Wisconsin problems. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So we've got a question. Our first question is from Carrie in Green Bay. She asks, how safe is a 30 minute appointment at a hair salon if both myself and the stylist are wearing masks the entire time? And I go one at a time when there are a few other customers. This is a great question. I myself have not had my hair cut since March. I've been dyeing my hair from home. My hair is getting long and unruly and I have been considering going to a salon pretty soon before, you know, um, and so I've been researching sort of what the protocols are in place at the salon that I used to go to pre-pandemic. Um, you know, I think we can think about two main things when trying to decide, you know, if it's safe to go to the salon. And this is, you know, the first is true of any time we're trying to decide on what activities or social interactions to engage in. And that's just thinking about what the community level um, burden of COVID is. Um, that's just hands down, right? And something that we have to weigh. And of course, unfortunately in Wisconsin, we're seeing you know surges yeah, in cases on. right now. Um, so that's just kind of the baseline thing we have to think about. Um, the next thing you know um, we have to think about uh, is sort of what protocols are being put in place in the salon, you know, so on its, you know, on its surface, it's, you know, going to the salon, unless your stylist is Edward Scissorhands, there's really no way about it, you have to be in close contact with that person, right, so, you know, that's the first kind of obstacle to getting your hair cut, and so, but hands down, like, you want to see a protocol where they are expecting clients and customers to wear masks because you are inevitably going to be closer, you know, than six feet um, and for a certain duration amount of time. So that would be my bottom line policy. The next thing I might look for is, are they limiting the number of people in the salon? So, you know, for instance, is it only one um, client to um, stylist at a time in the salon plus, you know, receptionist. That's the what the rule is at the salon that I am considering going to. And then do they, you know, are they having people not wait in the salon while it's not their turn to get their hair cut, right? So, you know, first, are they mandating masks and are they restricting the number of people in the building, in the salon at one time? Um, you know, the other thing that you can think about is trying to make an appointment that's going to allow you to um, decrease the duration of time that you're in the salon. So something that I saw um, being offered in my salon is if you want to show up with dry, clean hair, you don't have to have a shampoo, right? You can just get your hair cut, not have it blow dried and get in and out of there, you know, in hopefully 15 minutes or so. That's um, actually the policy at the salon where I, I was getting my hair cut. I 
also haven't been to a salon in seven months. But. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think if it's not the policy, you could still, um, when you make your appointment, say to the stylist or the receptionist booking your appointment, I would like to show up and not have shampoo and just I'll come with clean hair and try to get in and out of there as soon as possible. Um, you know, if you're someone, you know, like I've been dyeing my own hair, you know, if, if that you could also weigh your options of, well, it's going to be less time in the salon to get a single color dye than to like do balayage or some other, you know, more extensive color treatment. So I would say trying to minimize your time in the salon. Um, you know, the salon I go to normally serves you coffee. And that's one of the things I absolutely love about going there because it's across the street from a coffee shop where they get the coffee, but they are not doing that right now, which I think is really smart because if you're drinking coffee, you need to take your mask off, right? And so they're just not having food or drinks, you know, in the salon. And I would suggest trying to keep your mask on, you know, the entire time and having your stylist wear their mask the entire time too. Um, you know, they probably are, able to offer contactless payment, which is great. You know, at, at my salon, when you show up, they have you wash your hands right away, you know. Um, so I think that there are a lot of steps. And the thing that the um, follower asked, like, about, you know, having a, an appointment that's 30 minutes or less, you know, it's only her and her stylist, and there are a few other people in there, that's great. You know, when I was looking at appointments, I thought, like, getting one of the first appointments of the day, that's another you know, way to minimize sort of the people who've been in the salon during, you know, that time. Right, and you also, because right. most salons are, you know, fairly small spaces, you do want to think about ventilation, I think. So, you know, while the weather is still nice in Wisconsin, we can have the door to the salon or windows open. You know, my salon has put in place a HEPA filter in, in their building. Um, so these are the types of things I think you want to call when you make your appointment and ask about and, you know, where it's possible to insist, you know, or have control over some of these things to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you add anything, Malia? No, I think um, we're a little bit reassured because there was a, a CDC mm -hmm. investigation of a hair salon where two hair stylists were positive and were wearing masks. They were at work while they were COVID positive and later became symptomatic and, and came down ill, but they were wearing masks and none of their um, none of their clients got sick. Yeah, uh, the clients were wearing masks as well. The clients were also wearing masks. Yeah, that's not a guarantee that it couldn't happen, but it's some reassurance that it, yeah. it can be managed. I mean, I think the salon and getting your haircut is a perfect example where, you know, if we're thinking about the smart guidelines of space, mask, air, restrict, and time, you can't do much about space, but try to maximize your ability to do the other, um, you know, reduce risk on the other dimensions of yeah. that framework. We're going to come back to this idea a couple times today. I think that yeah. the, the risks are additive. Um, sorry, the risks are additive. And but what I was trying to say was that the prevention strategies are also additive. They're layers. They're not um, meant to substitute for one another. Exactly. They're not one or the other. And the more of them you can do, and in places where you can, only, you know, you can maximize the number of them that you do, that's going to serve to reduce your risk. Yeah. Yeah. So great question. Thank you for that. And it helped me to research it for myself as I think about getting a haircut. Um, so Malia, uh, we have a question from Terry in Athelstane, Wisconsin. What is your advice about how to hold a COVID safe funeral? Visitation or no visitation, graveside service versus indoor funeral, restrictions in the number of people who attend? Yeah, thanks for this question. I'm, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss, Terry. 
um, I looked up where Athelstan is and uh, it's way up there, way up north near the Michigan border. Um, so I think that the characteristics of super spreader events are really important to consider when it comes to thinking about planning a funeral or really any other safe um, family gathering. You know, we've also had um, people have weddings, people have birthday parties, um, you know, any of these gatherings. And I'll be sort of specific to a funeral, but, but this also applies to other family events or major events that you might be planning um, that, to mark a big milestone in your life. So the characteristics of super spreader events that we have seen uh, as this pandemic has unfolded is that they're very often, almost always, in fact, indoors. They involve a crowd of people who are together for some long period of time, um, not wearing masks. And often they're doing something like singing or exercising or loud talking, something that would produce a lot of respiratory droplets from deep inside your lungs. And so I have some concerns about the traditional indoor funeral on these fronts because we would be um, typically indoors, you know, there'd be a fairly big group of people from all over the country or maybe, or all over the state for a fairly long time and there also might be singing, right? So this or is- crying. A, or crying. And hugging. Yeah. So in order to do this safely, I would really encourage you to have it outdoors. Uh, I think a graveside funeral seems ideal because you could have it outside and you could uh, expect people to space between family groups, keeping family groups mostly apart. If you plan to have a visitation, which is also in some parts of the country called a viewing or a wake, you could make it staggered. Um, you could limit the number of people who come in at one time. And you know, often at a visitation, the immediate family stays the whole time to receive the to receive other family members and friends who are grieving. And I think that in that context where you're gonna be repeatedly seeing you know, a different person every 15 minutes. Um, you should be really extra careful. And I would even recommend maybe wearing a, a KP94 mask to protect yourself while you're at that visitation, if you're going to do that. Um, it's potentially just a lot of people in and out of one airspace. And I would be really careful about crowds gathering in that space. Um, if there's going to be some kind of a reception, you know, often there's like a, a breakfast or a coffee hour or something following the funeral at someone's home, I would suggest doing that outdoors too. Um, my concern with a reception is that, as you mentioned, with drinking coffee, if there's eating and, you know, there's always eating at a funeral, it, you have to take your masks off to do that. And so I would, I'm concerned about that. Um, I would really encourage you to tell the people coming to the funeral what your expectations are and that out of respect for you and you know the people that you love you expect them to wear their mask the entire time and maintain their physical distance from other people and then the last thing i want to talk about we just posted this past week this wonderful post about how to hug safely and i'm going to drop a link to that in the comments because i think that's um that will be really useful advice for a funeral it is possible to have a safe hug um and and the way to do that is to be outside, wear your mask. And, you know, I think you can hug someone for as long as you want to. If you, um, even though you're in pretty close contact with one another, your faces are typically not pointed at one another. And so there and are wearing ways, a mask. And you're wearing a mask. So, so um, there are ways to reduce the risk while you're 
hugging someone. And so check out that link that I'm going to drop there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, this is that layered protection. I think in, you know, for the most part, this seems pretty manageable if the weather cooperates up, up north there. And you can just layer on as many of these, these safety precautions as you can. Yeah. I think those are great tips, especially laying out what the expectations are ahead for the people who will be attending. So there's no, you know, confusion. Yeah. And I, you know, I know there's a lot of um, controversy in some parts of the state around the, the mask order and wearing masks. But fortunately, uh, if you're planning a funeral, you're in somewhat of a position of power setting the expectations. So just go ahead and do that. I would Lay say it so. out in advance. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Are you ready for another question? Yes. Okay, we've got, this is a tricky one that we've gotten a lot of questions about in the same vein, but we're just gonna take this one, this specific one from Tanya from Milwaukee, who asks us, what does the science tell us about close contacts versus non-close contacts? We got a notice from the school district that my stepson was exposed a week ago to someone who tested positive and that he himself, the stepson, had to self-quarantine for 14 days. It was suggested that he get a test regardless of if he shows symptoms. But what about the rest of us? We have been in close contact with the stepson and we're not showing symptoms of COVID-19. Do we self-quarantine? Do we get tested? Information is confusing. So this is a question about the contacts of close contacts. Yeah. And I've been getting this question in my personal friends and family network too, because it is a bit of a gray area. So to answer this, I want to start with just defining what it means to be an exposure to a, be exposed to a close contact, right? So sort of the guideline that health departments will use if, you know, they are um, asking about the contacts of someone who's tested positive for COVID um, is to ask them who they have had contact with within six feet for less for a cumulative amount of um, greater than 15 minutes. Um, And so that is sort of the starting point as well as anyone who you might've hugged or sort of sneezed on or had some obvious close contact that might've led to droplet um, transmission. Um, So that's, you would be considered exposed if you met that criteria and having that kind of contact starting two days before someone develop symptoms, who's a case of COVID, up until the end of their isolation period, which for someone who develops symptoms is 10 days at minimum, plus they have to be fever-free for 24 hours without the use of fever-reducing medication and their other symptoms have to been approved. So that's almost a two-week span in which if you were less than six feet for more than 15 minutes to that person, you would be considered exposed. If that person tested positive but didn't get symptoms yet, then they start two days before the date of their positive test Mm -hmm. up until 10 days after that test is that Mm -hmm. exposure window. So that's just setting the baseline of if you meet that criteria, that's you're considered exposed, right? Mm -hmm. And And so if- So uh, sorry to interrupt you, but the the criteria itself for close contact is super confusing because there's so much going on there, right? You've got this you have to, there's a point in time when someone is either symptomatic or they test positive, and then you have to go back two days before that and also forward um, for some amount of time that's not just like a number of days, it's like a number of days plus these other criteria. So that's already kind of complex. 
Yes, and we're going to drop some links that give some good examples on a calendar of, you know, if if you were, you know, in contact with a person this day under this scenario, this is, you know, what you would need to do next. And so basically, if you meet the criteria for being exposed to someone with COVID, then you do need to quarantine. And you will quarantine from the last date of exposure to that person for 14 days forward. So if you're living with somebody who has COVID, you basically, unless you can really isolate that person from you, you would be sort of quarantining during the time that they're sick, as well as the 14 days after. Mm -hmm. In this scenario, the stepson has been told you were contacted somebody at school and now you need to quarantine. But what does that mean for his family members? I think, you know, and I think that's a a big question. There's no official um, requirement for family members of a close contact to quarantine. Um, I think if you are concerned within your household that people are at high risk for um, COVID-19, you should consider having that close contact in your household keep separate from other family members Mm -hmm. during that quarantine period. Certainly all of you should monitor for symptoms um, during that, you know, the the quarantine period that has been assigned to the close contact member of your household. Um, In terms of determining if they should get tested, um, you know, you should contact your healthcare provider. They can give you some guidance and make an appointment for you around that. I think you should not you know, the guidelines are that you should wait until about four or five days after the exposure to the person to get tested. Otherwise, you run the risk of having a false negative test Mm -hmm. result. Um, And then if during that quarantine period, if that person becomes ill and diagnosed with COVID, then yes, the rest of the family members have to then engage in quarantine. Then you become the close contact. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a lot to consider. And I, we're going to drop some, you know, links um, mm-hmm. that are going to help give you some concrete examples of how to think about that. Um, you know, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that this six foot 15 minute rule is sort of a general rule, right? And and we're learning more about the nature of what it will, means to be potentially exposed in different settings, right? And so in an indoor setting, you know, it, it may not require that 15 minutes if, you know, if you're mm-hmm. in close contact without wearing masks with somebody, um, you know, but I think the person who contacts you from the health department will be able to walk, you know, walk you through yeah. sort of the likelihood that you are exposed and what you need to do next as yeah. well. And we're also learning that six feet is not a hard and fast, or it's not like a you know, invisible wall that happens at six feet, it can be, maybe it's less than six feet in some situations. And in some situations, we have seen that it is in fact, far more than six feet. We don't know precisely why it varies like that. But in general, um, for most people, six feet seems to be a safe distance. And that's why there's this six foot rule, right? Yeah. So can I ask one follow up question about testing? Um, Because the timing of of testing is a little tricky because you've got two layers here. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if um, if Terry wanted to get tested, it was Terry, right? Tanya, sorry, Tanya. If Tanya wanted to get tested, when would she do that? Well, I think first her stepson might get tested, right? Mm-hmm. So he's the close contact, the primary close contact. And so he might get tested four to five days after his exposure. And then I think Tanya would wait until four to five days after kind of exposure to her son, right? Uh, 
would you say? And I would say it should be four to five days. So you've got to give the virus time to do its thing, right? That's the that's why you've got this wait and see approach. So, okay, the stepson was exposed at school and then four or five days later, by that time, if he got COVID-19, the virus has had enough time to start replicating and the test, if he's infected, might be positive. It can actually take considerably longer than that. And we've seen that in the news this week. Um, the advisor to the president, Stephen Miller, tested negative six days in a row after an exposure and then tested positive on, on the sixth day, mm-hmm. even though he was in quarantine. So it can take a little longer. Anyway. It can, and that raises another good point that if you're in your quarantine period and you get tested at day four or five and you're negative, you should continue quarantining for the yeah. entire 14 days and monitoring for symptoms right. for this exact reason that it could be a false negative even at that point. That's yeah. probably the point at which you're you know, starting to be likely to get a positive result, but mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee that you'll have built up enough of the virus yet. Right. So testing negative during quarantine is not um, a reason to quit quarantining. You have to still maintain that 14 right. day quarantine. So about half of people will, if they're infected, will test positive on a PCR test by day five or six. Um, but the other half of people, of course, will test negative even though they're infected. So the purpose of testing, even if you're asymptomatic, is to find out, well, was um, was Tanya exposed yeah. to the steps to an infected stepson, right? And so I would say that Tanya has got to wait another four or five days after right. the stepson's four or five days to get an, uh, any hope of an accurate test. Exactly. That's so, yeah, exactly what yeah. I meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's there's you know it's quite a long time when you're in this wait and see period. Yeah. And if you have questions, reach out to your healthcare provider. They you know they will be able to help you figure out the timeline um, for getting tested and, you know, continuing your quarantine. Right. But great question. Indeed. Complicated one. It is. So we have one more question, um, maybe a little bit lighter hearted question from Kate in Madison, um, which is where Malia is. So she says, Okay. Hi, Kate. Um, My high school sophomore just shared that 10 friends want to celebrate homecoming next weekend by dressing up for outdoor photos followed by an outdoor bonfire. What would you advise? Yeah. So this is, um, this is another make it work moment. We're just going to make it work. I want to start off by saying that um, this advice applies to lots of the kind of fall fall celebrations that we have right now. You know, we have um, bonfires, we have homecoming, pumpkin patches, apple picking, corn mazes, maybe Halloween celebrations that are happening outside. And you know, Amanda, I'm on a mission to save Halloween. Um, so this is broadly applicable to, to these um, fall type gatherings. Um, I think that we can think about, again, the layers of protection that are offered by the SMART guidelines, space, masks, air, restrict, and time, right? So for space, can you ask your step, your son to, um, to keep his distance from his friends reliably? Uh, and when I was trying to think how you would do that with someone who's a sophomore in high school, I was wondering, will there be an adult present? Um, can you think of a way to make it a game? Like maybe whenever someone breaks the six foot rule, they have to run a lap around the yard or do some other ridiculousness. 
Uh, I've also seen <laughs> some people who early on in the pandemic wanted to have a backyard party or about, you know, a couple of friends over in their backyard. And so they made a hat out of pool noodles with three foot uh, yeah. like protuberances to keep each other uh, six feet apart from one another. So if there's a fun way to encourage your young people to keep six feet apart from one another, I would, I would highly suggest that. Um, they do need to be wearing masks at this event. And I would say it's okay for them to take off their masks if they're going to take a solo photo. You know, they're all dressed up for homecoming. If they're going to take a solo photo and they're standing far away from the photographer, they can take their mask off for the pictures, but not in a big group of people together. Yeah. Um, we would want them to be keeping their masks on to do that. Or they could just keep their masks on, which I think would be kind of a fun souvenir for this um in this ridiculous year that we're having right I mean they're it is it's kind of like so when you get your kids school pictures and their hair is all messed up and you just keep it anyway exactly. because it is a record was... of this time <laughs> precisely so um air they're outside great good job keep them outside restrict I like that you said it was only 10 friends and not 40 friends but still when you think about how many bubbles you're combining with 10 people from 10 different households. That is a lot of people. So this is definitely not a uh, highly restricted circle of people. And that's why it's really important to keep these other layers of protection mm -hmm. in place. And then time, you know, it sounds like this is going to be a fairly longish event. Um, and so again, I would say that those other layers of protection are really important. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they're going to sit out at a bonfire six feet apart wearing masks, yeah, you know, think, outdoors, that's that's a pretty good compromise, I think. Yeah. Right. And we know that you know young people need to have these these celebrations and that they need to get together and see their friends, and so it's mm -hmm. just important to make sure that happens safely. You know, if people are going to be playing guitar and singing, you know, then we've got to add that into consideration as well, uh, right? Yeah. So what would you do if people are playing guitar and singing? I would I would try to get my kids not to do it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, but if they're going to, I guess, sit even further apart and wear masks. I would masks. say, yeah, I would say they need to be wearing masks. I mean, mm -hmm. they need to be wearing masks anyway, but yeah. it, if they're singing, they really got to be wearing those masks. And um, I don't know if you've tried this, but singing in a mask is actually not super comfortable because yeah. the mask kind of like sucks onto your face right. when you take a deep inhale. Mm -hmm. And it also muffles the sound. So yeah. um, maybe if singing yeah. is super important to your celebration, you could investigate there. I've seen people who are singers who've made these very um, like long masks oh, yeah. that don't, and they have some kind of a structure inside them. So they don't like suck. They give you a little more air inside your mask. They so look like the, more like water. the old plague masks. Yes, they look like the old plague <laughs> masks, exactly. Um, um, and they're called masks for singing. So you could just look on Etsy. It's good so, to know that exists. Well, Kate, um, you didn't say that singing was going to be important. But no, but I did want to throw that out there because when you say bonfire, that's what I that, think of. Yep. And the other thing too is you might want to have your kids bring more than one mask. So after a while, your mask will get damp, even if you're not singing, you know, and so it becomes less effective and harder to breathe. And so having another mask to change out into was not a bad idea, I think, yeah. if it's going to be a longer event. I agree. One other thing I wanted to raise here is that um, the, just this morning, an uh, uh, article came out from the CDC's MMWR, the um, Morbidity Mortality Weekly Report, or is it Mortality Morbidity? <laughs> anyway, morbidity CDC's, mortality. yeah, I think it is Morbidity Mortality, CDC's um, 
sort of rapid timeline publication. And uh, it was a really interesting one. It's about the, the disease transmission patterns by age group. And what they found, what these researchers found is that in many places that are hot spots, and I think this might be what's happening in Wisconsin, many places that are hot spots, we see uh, the, the outbreak starts, it peaks earliest in these youngest age groups or the younger age groups, especially college age groups. And then it sort of slowly uh, gets going, more slowly gets going in the older age groups. And so one of my concerns specifically with this question is that this could be a big transmission event. And then these folks, these kids take disease home to their families and that slowly spreads more widely in the community. So yeah, um, yeah it's a really interesting one that I'm sure we're gonna talk about on, I'm gonna talk about it on Dear Pandemic later this week. So look forward yeah. to that. All right, well, that is all we have time for today. And I wanna thank you for hanging out with us. Thanks, Amanda, for joining me. We'll see you next week for more Q&A. And if you have a question, again, take it over to our website at dearpandemic.org. You can yeah. submit it in the question box there. And while, there, while, while you're there, you can also try searching for keywords in your question because we have done a lot of posts already. Yes, probably well over almost 600 posts probably at this point. So good chance we've already posted on it and you can search for a past post. Yeah. So please stay safe, Wisconsin, from me and Malia, particularly Wisconsin, but everywhere. Thanks for joining, guys. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the I Have Questions podcast from those nerdy girls at Dear Pandemic. If you have a COVID question, you can submit it on our website at dearpandemic.org. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And subscribe to our podcast, I Have Questions, wherever you get podcasts or at anchor.fm slash dearpandemic.